So this comes from Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephnon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this What we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Amen. That was a long passage. Um, We're going through a series on the book of Acts, but we were at prayer meeting on Tuesday night praying together as a church. And Tuesday night is a, sometimes is a hard time to pray. 
We have a little baby who does not like to sleep. Uh, so we have not been getting a lot of sleep. So we were praying, and it was over Zoom, and my camera was kind of facing up, and I had like kind of fallen asleep on the floor and was kind of zoning in and out because that's the type of life that we're in. And in that zoning out, I heard people praying about the things that they were going through. And as they were praying about that, God put this passage on my heart, and I have not been able to stop thinking about it throughout the entire week. And so what I wanted to do is put a pause on our series on Acts and look at this passage and see what God might be saying to our church And as I thought about this passage and why it resonated with me since Tuesday, I think the thing that I realize is, as I've gotten older, the feeling that I have more than any other feeling than I had anticipated when I was young is the feeling of helplessness. It's like the Beatles song, Help. And the lyrics to that song say, When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now those days are gone, and I'm not so self-assured. And something else about opening up your heart to being uh, helped. (laughs) I forgot the last words. But I like the part where he says, uh, now that those days are gone, I'm not so self-assured. As a baby, you're always helpless. You need somebody to help you eat. You need somebody to change your diaper. You need somebody to change your clothes. And you need somebody to help you sleep. But around the time you turn... 10, 11, 12, 13, you become a teenager and you get your own power. You get your own control over your life. And when I was a teenager and I thought about the type of life I would have in my 20s and 30s, I imagined a life of freedom. I could not wait to get my driver's license and drive as fast as I wanted with the windows down, listening to uh, Nirvana and listening to D'Angelo and singing along until nobody could hear me. And I thought, ah, this is freedom. I'll be free. I'll go to college. I'll study this thing. I'll get a great job. I'll make tons of money. I'll buy whatever I want and I will be free. I'll see this pretty girl. I'll say, hey, let's get married. She'll say yes. And that will be that. We'll have kids and they will love me and respect me and fear me the right amount and they will listen to exactly what I say and I'll be a king at the age of 40. I'm 41. None of that stuff happened the way that I thought it was going to happen and I feel this sense of helplessness and when we look at this passage what we see is Israel is a teenager. They are just leaving this situation of being enslaved for 400 years and if you check very carefully There's a strange word in verse 8. It says, when Israel was leaving Egypt, they went out defiantly. Another way to say it is they went out with a high hand. Or another way to say it is they went out with their chest puffed up, just like most teenagers do. I play uh, basketball with my 10th graders. That's how I broke my ankle last year. And now that Jen's out of the room, um, she said I couldn't play anymore, but sometimes I still play. So I'll play basketball, and these kids, if they score one basket on me, they're like, and um, it makes me very angry because there's nothing I can do about it. I'm an old man. But Israel had their chest puffed out, and like, we have defeated the mightiest army in Egypt, and they were going out defiantly. They were looking forward to the promised land. One day we'll have a land of our own very soon. It's just a six-day journey, and we'll be there, and we'll be in charge of our own destiny. But then, in Exodus 14, something happens. And by the time they hit verse 10, it says, They feared greatly. What is it that caused them to fear? 
And what does this passage teach us about how to deal with the helplessness that we basically face on a daily basis? That's what we're going to be looking at. So before we look at that, why don't we pray, and then we'll look at today's passage. Dear God, we just thank you so much for giving us this time and what we need uh, for your spirit to do in this time is to quiet our hearts. We bring in our jobs. We bring in our families. We bring in our children. We bring in the future. We bring in so many different things and we don't bring them in in the right way, which is with our hands open before you saying, God, this is the thing. Help me. Instead, we come in holding on to it, thinking that we are in control of that thing. But I pray by the power of your spirit, you'll help us let it go and that you help us to see exactly how powerful you are, even in those situations where we feel helpless. So we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So verse 8, chest out. Verse 10, afraid. What happened? What we find out is, Pharaoh had agreed to let Israel go after 10 devastating plagues, but because he is so anti-God, he changes his mind and sends 600-plus chariots to chase after them in the wilderness. And Israel at this time is about 600,000 men strong, but in this type of warfare, if you are going to battle against a superior technology, you will be wiped clean. Not only that, God knew that Israel was cowardly and weak, And so instead of sending them on a direct path, hugging the coast of the Mediterranean where the Philistines lived and they'd have to get into skirmishes, he sent them on this roundabout path that brought them right before the Red Sea. And what we see is as they're approaching this place and they look in front of them and they see there's an uncrossable sea and then they hear the Egyptians behind them, they start to become deathly afraid. They are stuck between the proverbial rock and a hard place. And at first sight, this might not seem that relatable. I cannot remember the last time somebody with a chariot was behind me and I felt afraid. Or the last time I was in front of a sea and trying to have to figure out how to get across it. But when you look across Exodus 14, what you notice is it is filled with cosmic language. The army of Pharaoh is the army of evil. The sea, the Red Sea, is the sea of chaos. This is a cosmic battle that is the culmination of every single battle and helpless situation that has taken place before then. If you've ever seen the Oscar-winning uh, movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, this movie is exactly that. It takes family drama and puts it on a cosmic scale. And when you look at these small, little helpless situations that have preceded Exodus 14 in the book of Genesis, what you realize is, despite all of the advances we made in technology, all of the advances we've made in terms of health, in terms of psychology, in terms of science, the things that we still struggle with that make us feel helpless are exactly the same. Cain, Abel, siblings, jealous. One of them is doing right. The other one is not doing right. And the family has to figure out, how am I going to deal with this sibling who drives me crazy? Abraham, Isaac, promised a child, but having a difficult time getting their family started. You have Isaac, who wants a wife, and he doesn't know where to find a wife. And so he has to look, and he's having a hard time finding somebody to marry. Jacob, 
Esau got to figure out their retirement with this first blessing, and they're trying to rob it from one another. And not only that, their parents are aging, and they got to figure out how they're going to take care of their aging parents and something that they're struggling with. Joseph, taken captive, taken to Egypt, facing a situation where he is a foreigner in a foreign land and trying to figure out how to care for himself. And then you have the Egyptians and Israel, forced to work a job that they do not want to work. What are the situations that we bring into this place that make us feel helpless? It's our families. It's our kids. It's trying to figure out how to love our parents. It's trying to figure out how to balance our work. It's trying to figure out how to do all the things we would like to do, except so many different things are pulling us in different directions. And so Exodus 14, even though it's a cosmic scale, is talking about all these things that make life so difficult, that make us feel so anxious. So we might not have an army at our back. We might not have the sea in front of us, but we have these situations where we've tried to do our best, but we have not gotten anywhere. And so how does Israel respond in that predicament? Well, the first thing we see is they have a couple of bad responses. In verse 11, it says, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? What's the first natural, unconscious thing that we do when we're faced with a helpless situation and we're stressed out? We start lashing out at the people around us. And this is something that I noticed as a kid very early. My dad was a doctor, and every month, once a month, he would come home and he would be in a rage. And his rage would go, guys, get down here. And we'd all gather around and he would say, clean the house. (laughs) And we were like, dad, the house has looked this way for 30 days. It hasn't bothered you ever. But today is a day that it's starting to upset you. And once you see this pattern, you notice that this is a pattern that exists everywhere. I go to school with my daughter. Every morning, I have to get her ready to go out the door. And she's five. She's going to do her best. But when I'm late and when I got things I got to do, I'm like, Arlo, let's go. The other day, I got mad at her for not pushing the elevator button fast enough. I was like, Arlo, push the button. We're late, right? Once we start seeing this pattern, we realize, oh, we take out our frustration all over the place. When your parents yell at you, who do you turn to? You turn to your siblings and you start going boom and you start hitting them because you can't do that to your mom or your dad but you can definitely do it to your younger brother or sister. When work is hard, we do it to our spouses. When our marriage is hard, we do it somewhere else. We find ways to blame other people around us. And why do we do that? It's some kind of sick perversion, but we know that these people around us love us and they'll take it from us. But that is not helpful to do. These are the guys that are supposed to help us and support us, but our gut instinct is, I feel so helpless, I gotta lash out. There's another unhelpful thing that they do, and that's this. In verse 12, it says, Leave us. Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The second thing that they do when they're panicked and they're in a helpless situation is they start distorting reality and start saying things that are basically not true. It would be better for us to be slaves in Egypt than to be free in the promised land, that's patently false. But when you're in a difficult situation, you cannot see reality for what it is. 
And this happens to us all the time. I don't know if you guys remember this, but when you first started driving, probably the scariest thing is getting on the highway and trying to figure out how to merge. And sometimes you're so afraid of that situation that you end up missing the exit that you're supposed to take. And you see this all the time in New York. You see these student drivers and they're like, oh gosh, these student drivers. But they can't even figure out how to make a right-hand turn because they have to deal with pedestrians and other cars and so on and so forth. We had this student who's about to graduate. He's in eighth grade now, but this happened in fifth grade. He was running around the hallways pretending to be James Bond uh, for some reason. And he was working himself up into a frenzy, pretending that um, some guy was chasing him. And he got so panicked by this that he ran into a steel door face first and almost uh, knocked himself out. Now, um, if he was a calm person, he would have seen there's a steel door here. I, don't, I can't run into it. But he so panicked that he, boom, knocked his head and ran into it. And this is something that's basically been confirmed uh, according to neurological studies. When you have a high release of cortisol in your system, it basically shrinks your brain and does not allow you to see the world as it is. When you are panicked, you start to distort reality and you no longer see things the way that they are and you start playing this game If only I had done this in the past. If only if I had made this decision in the past, then this situation would not happen. If only I had been with these people instead of with those people, I would never be in this situation. This is a gut-level instinct that we have, but it distorts reality and keeps us from seeing what's actually there. So, what are the right responses to have when you're in a difficult or helpless situation? It comes in verse 13. It says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the Lord's salvation. In verse 14, it goes on. It says, be silent and be still. Now, this is the hardest, easiest advice to follow because our natural instinct is to act. We start attacking the Egyptians and going, okay, I'm in this helpless situation. My gut instinct is to try and figure out a way to remove this thing from my life. Or we start looking for another route. If I can get this other job, if I can get this other situation, then I'll be free from this helpless situation. But the problem is, ultimately, none of us is strong enough to defeat Egypt on our own. None of us is fast enough to find another route that will get us across the sea. No amount of fighting, no amount of our efforts is going to get us to conquer the helpless situation that we're in, which is why Moses says, no, the first step is to not fear, be still, be quiet, and open your eyes to what's around you. And the reason this is the easiest, hardest advice to follow is we live in a society and a culture that values action. We are called upon to take matters into our own hands. We're in the midst of the uh, NBA finals between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. And this is something I think about all the time. When LeBron James first started uh, appearing in the finals and in the playoffs, he was heavily criticized because at a game-winning shot, he would pass the ball instead of taking the shot. Who was he always being compared to? Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant would shoot over five defenders no matter what. And this is what our culture valued. You've got to take the shot. Even though LeBron was making a smarter play by passing to a higher percentage shot, he was not being celebrated until much later. We value action. But here, God is telling you, don't take action first. First, quiet your heart, stand still, and open your eyes and see what's actually 
in front of you. And when you do that, what is the reality that you see? It's verse 14. He says, You only have to be silent. The Lord Himself will fight for you. That is the reality. We're not talking about some kind of Zen Buddhism. Ignore and deny the exterior world. Pretend your problems don't exist. Just sleep it away. We're talking about seeing reality that is true reality. Yeah, the problems are there, but so is God. God is in the midst of your helpless situation. And this is true in a palpable way for Israel. His presence was with them in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And in these verses, it moves behind them and actively fights against the Egyptians and keeps the Egyptians from overtaking them. Israel has to be silent. Israel has to be firm. Israel has to calm their hearts and see that God is fighting for them because when they realize that, they realize that they have all the power they need to deal with their helpless situation. Um, Every weekend, um, Arlo gets this special treat from me, which is um, I um, stay, I put her to bed, and then I stay in her bed um, all night until she falls asleep. Um, and I um, dislike this very, very much because um, that's my time <laughs> to be on my phone and to be whatever. And the other day I asked Arla, like, why do you want um, daddy to be in your uh, bed? I, uh, like, my body temperature is so hot. Like, don't you start getting sweaty? And, like, th- the bed is so small. And, like, um, you know, like, I don't let you read in bed. <laughs> I don't let you play. I'm like, Arla, just be quiet and go to sleep. And she says uh, this. She goes, I hate nightmares. And when you sleep next to me, I don't have any nightmares. Right? And then I was like, okay, I'll sleep with you every day. (laughs) Um, And if we extend that, if she does have a nightmare and she wakes up and she sees me, she'll go, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. My dad is here. Right? And this is exactly what's happening here. We have these helpless situations and we feel like we don't know what we can do. Exodus 14 says, be quiet. God is next to you. God is fighting for you. You do not have to panic. You do not have to take matters into your own hands. God knows exactly what is causing your heart trouble and making you ache. And he is actively fighting for you. And so what happens when Israel quiets their heart and they see their true reality? God opens up a miraculous path that did not exist before. In verses 21 and 22, it says that an east wind blew and they were able to walk on dry ground with the water being stood up like walls that were solid. He says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to move forward. He takes helplessness and turns it into hope. He takes a wet grave and turns it into a dry path. He takes the anxiety and fear and turns it into faith and worship. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now what I'm talking about here is not simply a coping mechanism, but this is a pattern that Jesus Christ himself has set. Be silent and then walk in obedience. 
Don't panic. Don't blame. Don't distort reality. Open your eyes. See that God is fighting for you. And then walk down the path that he will create for you. At the end of the Gospels, Jesus is confronted by the high priest. He's confronted by Pontius Pilate. All of these accusations are made against him. And all the Gospels say Jesus was silent. He did not need to defend himself because he knew that God was fighting for him. And what did he do instead? He walked towards certain death on the cross. And what did God do in response? Through death, he opened up the path of resurrection. We all have helpless situations that we're dealing with that are causing us anxiety, that are causing us problems in our relationships. Be still. Open your eyes. See that God is fighting for you and walk in the path that is calling you to walk down. Um, yeah, I think to close, there's just a couple things that I like to say. All of us um, are going through these personal situations and it's so hard to find time to calm our hearts. Uh, my strong recommendation to you is to find time to pray. Uh, find time to walk. Find time to do whatever you want. If you want to join us on Tuesday uh, at night, feel free to do that. If it's a tired time for you and you feel like you're falling asleep, it's Zoom. You just turn your camera off and you kind of fall asleep and then you wake up and then you join whenever you can. That's totally fine. But you're at least quiet. <laughs> at least your heart is calm and you're able to think soberly and maybe God will drop something in your heart and goes, hey, I'm with you. I'm fighting for you. As a church, there's so many things that we don't know about the future and our instinct is to try and take matters into our own hand and kind of do what we can do. That would be wrong. What we have to do first is to pray, seek his face, know that God is going to fight for us, and keep an eye out for the miraculous path that he's going to open for Good News Church in the future. All right, let's pray. Um, yeah, I want to, um, like, uh, we all have these um, difficult things that are going in our heart. And I don't, we don't really have a culture of praying together and things like that. But it's something that I would like to start uh, moving forward. And so I guess what I'll say is, if you need prayer for anything at any time, the elders are available. That's me, Peter, Dave, and Pastor Sam. Um, the deacons are available. That's uh, Mike, uh, Eunice, Eunice, and Dennis. Um, feel free, if it's small or if it's big, if you want prayer after service to say, hey, this is what I have going on in my life. Can you please pray for me? And, you know, we'll keep it nice and simple. Uh, it won't be embarrassing or anything like that. But let's have a culture where we start praying for each other and allowing that to be a regular part. If that's too hard to do, then please Join us on Tuesday. That's a great time to just come and pray. But um, why don't we first start by lifting up some of the things that are going on in our own lives. And let's also lift up our church. God, our church is in this strange situation. We don't know which way is forward, but we know you are a God who can split the sea. So make us to see that place. So let's pray like that for a little bit before we respond in worship.